are listening to the Cars of Carlisle podcast, episode 43, America on Wheels in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Cars of Carlisle is your favorite internationally downloaded podcast about all things automotive. Darren and his CFC team are ever searching for interesting automotive happenings, real stories about real car people, and fun features to inform and entertain you. Each week, the Cars of Carlisle crew brings you show topics ranging from car shows to team adventures to auto racing weekends to behind-the-scenes human interest stories from car nuts that live across town, across the country, or even across the globe. Come join the road trip. Today, the Cars of Carlisle team takes a road trip to tour the America on Wheels Museum. While in the Lehigh Valley area, the guys met up with the museum's executive director and were treated to a hosted visit. Did you know that this Allentown-based, over-the-road transportation museum features incredibly diverse automotive exhibits? Climb in and ride along to find out more. So, let's get revved up. Hello, and welcome back, Cubers, to your favorite informative automotive podcast. I am your host, Darren. So glad to have you back here for episode 43. Today, we're going to be talking to you about Scott and I went up to Allentown, Pennsylvania to America on Wheels Museum. Had an excellent time, but I'm just going to pause here to say we're, we're adding a new feature to the podcast each week, and that is... We're going to have a automotive-related trivia question or something that's a really interesting factoid that you can share with friends and family to show them how much you know. This week, it's about something we learned at the America on Wheels Museum, and that is this. Here's this week's episode 43 question. If you took all the boxes that are found or carried in a given year in the back of UPS semi-truck, stacked all those boxes, how many times could you reach the International Space Station in outer space and back to Earth. Listen for that uh, answer. It's actually going to be mentioned by Gary, the museum uh, tour guide. Okay, so let's get into this particular episode. This is going to be more of a uh, an in-depth Gary and then the executive director of the museum, Linda, tell you a little bit more about them. They're definitely worth a visit up uh, in Allentown. We had an excellent afternoon there. But a lot of great content. What we did is we actually recorded the the entire tour. This episode picks up right about the time we just came into the first exhibit area on the first floor. We had asked Gary Peters, our very knowledgeable volunteer uh, tour guide. There are about 80 volunteers that uh, lead the tours there. We were very fortunate to uh, have an extremely cool gearhead. And we're going to take a, a little sidebar here in a few minutes to, so you can learn more about Gary's particular story and, and how he was a, a drag racer. So uh, as you get into that, you're going to hear him talk a little bit about the fact that they changed the exhibit. If you continue to go to America on Wheels, every, uh, every six months, twice a year, you'll see a different exhibit up on the second floor. Scott and I happen to be very fortunate that we got to see the 1950s and 1960s um, tribute to fins. So all things with Cadillacs, Studebakers, really cool display and check out the great photos on Instagram. All right. So without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Gary and join us now on our walking tour of America on Wheels. It's going to be a collection of a gentleman by the name of Bulgari. Okay. Who is a big car collector. Okay. okay. He was uh, in the jewelry business over in Italy, in Greece, so he has uh, quite a few cars stored here in the Allentown area. Okay, okay, yeah. wonderful. <clears throat> now from the research and thing on, on the website, 
You want to talk a little bit about the museum itself? And, and well, it's it, we're in our tenth year. Uh, sure. Okay. Basically, the uh, museum owns very few of the vehicles. They're all here on loan from individuals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they have people that would come into the museum and they're car fanatics, and then they say, you know, gee, I have a really nice mm-hmm. Austin Healey. Mm-hmm. Would you like to put it on display? You know. Mm-hmm. Sure. So that's how things wind up getting here. I became a volunteer because I... I was into drag racing. Oh, were you really? <laughs> Big time. Did you? And, what uh, what uh, class did you drive? Top fuel. Wow. How many years? Uh, from 1969 until 1980. Yeah. So I. What had was your best ET? Uh, back then, the best ET was 6.09 seconds at about 244 miles. How does that? How does that feel? <laughs> uh, well, I always describe it to people. <clears throat> Remember the first time you ever went on a roller coaster? Okay. Okay? And you're going up that hill. Click, 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 sure. click. You get to the top and, ah, and you're <laughs> screaming, right? Right, right. But the third time you're on there, you're standing up going faster, <laughs> faster. Not enough. Never enough. So same, th- same with Top Fuel, right? Right. Yeah. Those six seconds start to get real addictive. And yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's a great sure. history. So yeah. do you have any collector cars? Uh, I have a 1978 25th anniversary Corvette. Nice. And I also have a 1983 BMW. Yeah, so there's a cute story with the Austin. Yeah, please. The 53 here. This is beautiful. Uh, The gentleman that finally bought the car was engaged to get married about six weeks after he bought the car. And he told his fiance that... He bought the car for her as a wedding present. Slick. <laughs> but she got a little irritated, you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. Because she kind of realized, wait a minute. Did they still get married? Yeah, they still got married. <laughs> okay. And then she did enjoy the car and still does, you know. But it was a cute little story. That is. Motorcycles throughout the museum, too. That's your mm-hmm. Harley Davidson from back in the 1950s. Becoming very collectible anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Area here that's dedicated actually to the likeness of the mannequin, who was a radio announcer here in Allentown. He started his career at the Allentown Fair as a clown after the Second World War. So he was known as Dopey the Clown. Oh, wow. Yes, he wrote his name tag on his Right. Mm -hmm. But then he was Pennsylvania Dutch or German, and they always took their donut and dunked it in the coffee. Dunkin' Donuts. Gotcha. Right? So he got the nickname Dopey Duncan. (laughs) Okay. And what he did is he got all the hot rod clubs in the Allentown, Bethlehem, Eastern area together and formed the Lehigh Valley Timing Association and ran some of the first drag races on the East Coast at the airport here in Allentown off of Lehigh Street. Not the main airport. Okay. Back then it was called Convair because they built the Convair aircraft there during the Second World War. Nice. Okay. So the mural on the wall is showing you the early drag racing. The drag racing became so popular on weekends people couldn't land their airplanes anymore. So the FAA became involved and shut the drag racing down. Dopey had a friend who owned a farm below Quakertown, Pennsylvania. He took some of his farmland, built one of the first quarter-mile drag strips on the East Coast. His name was Jake Vargo, and it was known as Vargo's Dragway. 
Wow. Then the Lehigh Valley Timing Association ran the drags there until it was shut down because of the <clears throat> cars getting louder and faster and it was disturbing the cows and the sure. chickens in the farm area. So another type of race car, these were called midget racers. Yes. Quite a few tracks. Okay, so we are on the older side of, of the museum building where the original uh, meat factory, I guess, was in Allentown. And we're in the administrative offices. Want to take a moment here. We're meeting with Executive Director Linda Merkel. She has been at the helm for just about a full decade, done an outstanding job with with everything around the exhibits and having uh, an education background comes out in the way that she really tailors all the exhibits to all age groups. We have a few announcements from her. She'll tell you a little bit about what's coming up at the museum. Okay. And wanted just to ask you if there's anything that you would want the listeners to Cars of Carlisle to know about. Of course, America's on, America on Wheels and, and coming to this great well, museum. Well, on the second week of April, our next exhibit takes place and we will be honoring a collector. So this will be the first time that we're going to be doing this as a series. Of course, our first collector is Mr. Nicola Bulgari. Mm. So we're going to be blessed with about 13, 12, 12 of his classic vehicles. Uh, probably totally unrestored mm -hmm. and uh, you're just going to have to take a sneak peek at it okay. because it's going to be gorgeous it will be on display for six months here beautiful mm -hmm. and you've been in existence for 10 years yeah. and you were just telling us a moment ago about your new neighbor you want to elaborate on that i would love to our new neighbor is rb collection it's al and alex rosie brothers mm -hmm. and uh, this will be the first time that our visitors will actually be able to cross the street and go over and see a classic car being restored mm -hmm. so uh, they are moving along five north Front Street in Allentown, and it's going to complement the museum as well as us complementing them. So it's going to be a lot of new car clubs heading our way, right. and to see both facilities. So we're very lucky along the waterfront. Well, what was really neat to me too is just the Hubcap Cafe and the fact that Gary mm -hmm. was explained to us that there's he posted everything from. Um, post-funeral get-togethers, wedding receptions, mm -hmm. birthday parties. There's a, a birthday, birthday party, party for, right for some right. young young folks upstairs. Yeah. But really exciting that there's that, that kind of energy of all generations. All uh, you know, we added life. all the events to the museum um, because you know it's a, it's a great backdrop for mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the weddings really took off because we serve our hors d'oeuvres on new hubcaps, and that <laughs> is what did it. <laughs> so if you want something clever. classy, that's clever. Um, but uh, it's beautiful and we've done a lot of uh, private events, corporate events, birthday parties, retirements, mm. and we're here for almost anything. Uh, we're going to be opening up our prep garage as well, and uh, people and car clubs will be coming in. We're going to have a car in there that represents their club, and they will be speaking about the car, any type of work needed or mm. possible restoration. So that's going to be actually new as of this April. Great. Well, it's so creative with everything that you've done, you know, just to make it more of a day event for people. When yes. Here. It's that's the great. teacher in me. I do. <laughs> my homework. Okay. <laughs> and I, I, that, that shows, because we did comment to Gary how, especially as we were coming in to the lobby, that mm -hmm. it really is uh, catered to all generations. Yeah. And you could have a 7-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 28-year-old or a 49-year-old or a 97-year-old uh, would <laughs> find something interesting no matter where they are in right. the museum itself. And not um, even just for kids. It's so tactile, even for right. adults. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of stuff for me to... Well, I'm going to go back upstairs and, yeah. and get in the back truck. The, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> well, 
Well, I don't know if you saw the kids area off of the museum store yet. That's new. We just mm. opened that this year. Okay. And we got that totally funded. And that's a restoration service garage. So the kids are changing the tires, oh, finding out where the muffler is. Yeah. So that's part of the birthday Okay, course. is there an upper age limit? Or can <laughs> <laughs> 12 and under, but you okay. can look. All right, we can look. We can you look. can look. So that's my side of things. That's terrific. Well, again, your educator in you is, yeah. is quite It was epic. very important to do that because museums are for lifetime learners. Yes. And I believe that. Yes. And the fact generations behind us, whether it be hydrogen power or whatever, the alternative fuel, we're always going to have some yeah. form of personal transportation. Yeah. So I think it's exciting that... This is... Um, we're actually working on our next exhibit moving in. Okay. You know, this is going to be for kids learning hands-on, learning about the brakes, the drivetrain, okay. suspension, and everything. So our new exhibit will be uh, Innovations. Wow. That is so, really cool. So excited. Anything else you'd like to share no, with our listeners? No, thank you. Well, you guys thank you. spread thank the word. You. We we're are here. doing so. We yeah. are absolutely doing so. Yeah, well, so thank you. Thank you, Linda. Uh, this one's quite unique. The engine's out of a boat. It's all aluminum, and it's mounted backwards in the chassis. It's front-wheel drive. Oh, my oh, gosh. Wow. <laughs> Very unusual. Yeah. Extremely. You know. <clears throat> and this would have been early 50s? Uh, no, this was back in the 30s. In the 30s, thir- okay. Yeah. All right. Call this our all-limit fuel room, because a lot of times the vehicles that are brought in here run on something besides gasoline. Steam and what have you. Yeah. Electricity. <clears throat> So we have a 1903 Model A Ford, one of Henry's first designs. Truly a horseless carriage. Yep. Well, what a lot of people don't realize, a lot of your car manufacturers evolved from carriage builders. That's why you see on your early cars you have wooden spoke wheels. Mm-hmm. They knew how to make them. Mm-hmm. And that's a Studebaker. Let me get on every one of these and try my... <laughs> <laughs> That's frowned upon. Yeah. I, know. <laughs> I love how the exhibits too, Gary, are. You've done a really great job mm-hmm. of tailoring to all audiences. Oh. Like even especially as we were w- waiting in the lobby there, mm-hmm. that little guys, little girls, seven to fifteen, whatever. There's something for every age. So your Model T Ford, woody type chassis. You had no batteries, no electric. So you had to set the two levers on the steering column. One for the spark advance for the magneto, the other for the throttle. Then you had to set the choke on your carburetor, then you had to go up front, stick the black handle in the front of the engine, crank it over by hand to get it started. Mm-hmm. If you didn't set things correctly, the engine would have a tendency to backfire. When it did, the handle instantly broke your arm. Make acetylene gas by dropping the tablets in the water. When it started to get dark, you'd pull over to the side of the road, open the lens in your headlight, turn the gas on, take a match, and light your headlights. Now you had light to drive at night, and if it were raining, you were lucky to have a passenger with you, because they could operate the windshield wiper for you. The manual. (laughs) Now, the trucks like this were naturally built and designed to haul freight, farm produce, that type of thing. But after the First World War, the truckers discovered they could make more money carrying passengers. So they put portable seats in their trucks. They drive around to the hotels, pick people up, take them down to the railroad station, and they became known as station wagons. Uh, that's the term. Okay, okay, pretty cool. Yep. Had no idea the etymology of that. It's called a Detroit Electric. It's from 1922. It's a total electric car. You had batteries in the trunk batteries under the hood you had a range of 60 to 80 miles and an ultimate top speed of 45 miles an hour 
which is just fine then. Yeah. With the and roads. It's really oh, yeah. plush too. Now this I remember seeing on your website. Yeah, that's the uh, city car <clears throat> when we had the first gasoline crisis in the United States. Mm -hmm. If you remember that, I do. You couldn't even. You had to go by your license odd or even. Yes. Fill your car with gas, and they only allowed you ten gallons. A bunch of people got together and built this little electric car. Of course, when gasoline became available, even though it was three times the cost, <clears throat> they had a lot of mechanical problems because it's nothing more than a golf cart with a body installed <laughs> on it. Okay. So they had a lot of mechanical problems in that. And once sure. gasoline was available, they went out of business. But they built quite a few of them in the thousands. Indian motorcycles. Oh, yes. Very collectible today, the originals. <clears throat> And they built their motorcycles from 1900 to 1953 when they went out of business. Every year they were in business, they outsold Harley-Davidson. And they're making Still a resurgence now. If I'm yeah, not yeah. But it's not the original well, company, correct, though. Exactly. It's, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, there's a styling mystique about an Indian that is un unmistakable. Yeah, you can, I mean, they're Just beautiful. Just like the, the, yeah, the, the, facial, yeah. the facial light. Mm -hmm. 1928 to 1932, they were called Model A's, mm -hmm. and they built millions of them and sold every one. So we have an example here of a service station, what it'll look like if and when we ever switch to hydrogen gas as a fuel. Okay. Okay. Two advantages. One, it's about half the price of gasoline. Mm -hmm. Two, when you burn hydrogen in an engine, the byproduct out the exhaust pipe is water vapor. So you have zero pollution. Mm -hmm. wow. mm -hmm. And we're not using it because of the infrastructure. Where would you go to fill your car with hydrogen gas? But Any something possibly for the future. Now, we did have air products in here, and they brought one of their latest design cars in here. And it really doesn't inject the hydrogen into the engine. All your Mack trucks are built in McCungee, Pennsylvania mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mack is very important to the Lehigh Valley. Oh yeah. A UPS truck, there's your Bulldog, because this is from the 1970s. These were known as COE trucks, which stood for cab over engine. What happened, our federal government, if you remember, passed the law and the overall the length. length of the truck and its trailer on a highway. So what a lot of the truckers did, they took the engine, which would be out here, stuck it between the two front seats, took the length of the hood, added that to the trailer, you could carry more packages and make more money. Mm -hmm. So when the federal government dropped that restriction, we went to double trailers and that, everybody stopped building these because they were expensive, out. right? you know, hard to work on the engine, you had to tilt it, the whole cab forward. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. I had a ride on one of these one time, yeah. and it was such an odd feeling. That it felt like your knees were going to come right through the windshield, yeah. and you're looking straight down. Straight down, yeah. yeah. It was a very strange feeling. Yeah. Collection of oh. panel cars. These the family are had a uh, little extra money back in the 1930s. This is what you could get for a Christmas present. Back in those early days, they actually built them to look almost actual cars. We have a NASCAR, Bojangles. One step up from the midget race car is the sprint car. Mm -hmm. And the old Roadster with the double overhead cam Offenhauser engine in which I consider the ultimate race car. <laughs> yeah. If we're gonna go, you know, in a circle. Yeah. The young folks can sit in and touch. One is the little quarter midget, 
they can sit in there and get their picture taken. Everybody has a camera today in their uh -huh, phone. Uh -huh. right? So that's very popular with them. The other vehicle is up there. You see the screen? Yes. It's a Mack truck, and you can sit in it and simulate you driving down the highway. Nice. I like all these the stack of UPS boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You explained that uh, in a year's time, you could take those boxes and go from here to the moon and back 12 times. That's how many packages this truck would haul in one year. Wow. Holy cow. Yeah. That's a staggering um, statistic. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Some very early motorcycles. Okay. A little maroon one. Was actually owned by a famous movie star. That's one of Steve McQueen's motorcycles. I think at the time of his passing, he owned over a hundred motorcycles. We have another Harley Davidson motorcycle from 1934. Gentleman that owns it bought it brand new. <clears throat> he drove it in here a couple, quite a few years ago, maybe five years ago now or six. And uh, he was 92 years old when he drove it oh in here. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love how he has all the pins and has yeah, made it his all own. All the pins from all the shows he took it to. He said when he bought the motorcycle, the saddlebags, which are original, okay. were an option. And he didn't know if he could afford it. Yeah, they were $4.95. So, a collection of Mack trucks. As we said before, all your Mack trucks are built in McCungee, Pennsylvania today. And I'm going to tell you the story of the Bulldog. So the truck right here, the big dump truck, that's the truck that got the Bulldog as the, corp, you know, the corporate symbol of Mack trucks. What happened is the English, during the First World War, called the president of Mack trucks up and ordered 3,000 of these dump trucks to help them fight World War I. Okay. Mack built the 3,000 trucks, shipped them over to England, a little while later, the English called the president back up and said, we want a thousand more of your trucks because your truck is as strong as our English bulldog. Started putting them on the hood of the truck after the wars. What a cool story. Yeah. yeah. And the first one is actually here in the case. A little black one. And yes. There's the blueprint for it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So this is showing you there is a Mack Truck Museum here in Allentown. It's the old test center behind the airport off of Lehigh Street, okay. down Volte Street. And it's open Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays from 10 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon. They have just about one of everything they ever built in the museum, and it's totally free. Another Mack Truck, and the body was built here at the museum with Arbogast and Bastion Company on it because the ground you're on was actually a meat processing plant many, many years ago. The old brick called, building that's in the corner, was that part of the... Yeah, okay. the, the, the offices yes. and the Hubcat Cafe. Yes. That's part of the original okay. world headquarters for A&B Meats. Wonderful. And as mentioned in the intro to today's episode, let's just pull over and take a quick pit stop and listen to a little background on Gary, the tour guide here at the museum. He has a really cool backstory. He was actually in top field drag racing back in the, uh, the 60s, 70s era. So let's go to that now. We built the first uh, top field dragster in, in the winter of 1969, and almost everybody ran a Chrysler Hemi engine. 
but they were about uh, $30,000 to put one of those together, and we didn't have that kind of money because we were just average working guys. Privateers, yeah. So we used a big block Chevy. We used the stock truck block, okay, because they were stronger than the standard block, and we used stock heads, stock intake valves, naturally racing pistons and rods and that, but we built the first car for less than $10,000. And then in 1971, with the driver uh, who was always hanging with us, and his name was Dale Fair, we won the 1971 Division I Top Fuel Championship. That's the amazing. only Chevy to do that in the history of drag racing. Wow. Well, well done. Hang your hat on that one. Did you ever get the attention of, uh, of Chevy? Did they approach no. it ever? Chevrolet never really backed cars, even though there were people like Bill Grumpy Jenkins of course, that yeah. ran Superstock yep. with uh, Chevrolet and stuff like that, but they never really backed it. But we did get a sponsorship from a Chevrolet dealer in New Jersey, and uh, <clears throat> they supplied us with the Chevy parts, okay. which uh, back then you could buy a block for Two hundred dollars. Mm. You know, we used the L eighty eight crankshaft mm -hmm. out of the Corvette. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it did you just? It took us a year to dial everything in, but what we found with the Chevrolet, the reason the Hemi's were so popular in the valves were in this configuration. Mm -hmm. So intake, exhaust. Yeah. Chevrolet, you had the tunnel. Okay to get to the valves because they were mounted this way. Okay, right. And after playing around with it for many years, we discovered that because of the different lengths of the ports, that mm -hmm. with the nitromethane, which is nasty right. stuff, if you couldn't get enough fuel in there, you'd destroy the pistons and everything. Right. <clears throat> so what we discovered, I used to buy the rods blanks and I'd machine them myself and we ran the front two cylinders with 60,000 shorter rods, which lowered the compression on uh, those two cylinders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just those two, though? Just those two, and okay. the next two, 30,000s. Okay, so you staggered After we did that, the car just, just ran run after run after and run. And you came up with that? Yeah. Extraordinary. Yeah. Credit to you well, for Well, we the... knew what was happening. It was destroying oh, yeah. the pistons. It was pounding the rings. Right. You know. Right. Nitromethane surprisingly burns very slow. So you have to run a lot of lead. Okay. Where your normal car, you know, you have, what, eight degrees lead. Yeah. But we used to run like 65 degrees lead. <laughs> Just to get it to burn yeah. the nitro efficiently, you know. Wow. Plus... We go through 10 gallons of nitromethane in a quarter mile run. That's a lot. That's a lot because you get the burn in and everything. Burnout and yeah. stuff, yeah. but then the run itself. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's a great story. That is. And kudos to you for the whole just working to through yeah, it and doing the machining it was just and all there of that. Were four of us that were involved, you know, and then Dale, who became the driver mm -hmm. and drove many other famous cars throughout the years mm -hmm. and after we quit. Yeah. Did you have, you had some passes in that car? No. You never drove that one? Okay. No. It's okay. the other part of my story. I okay. drove, injected a nitro and everything, but when we built the car in the winter of 1969, we, you know, we got the chassis and everything, and I sat in the seat 
<clears throat> with the dummy block and just a bare block with the intake and the blower was right there. And I sat there and I thought, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> you thought better of it, yeah. I said, you know, because it, in those days, it happens today. You can light them, blow those blowers right off sure. The, sure. the intake manifold along with the heads and it, you know. But anyway, I said to my other partner, I said, you know what? I, I don't think I want to drive mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. And then Dale said, if you build it, I'll drive it. All right. No, a good partnership was formed. Yeah. yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that here. Very. That, uh, you, if you ever get the chance to sit in a front engine dragster, sit there right there is the back it's of the little Well, and I, I'm not a tall yeah. guy. I probably wouldn't see it. I won't even see the strip. I yeah. just have to look off the yeah, side. Yeah, you do. You look out the side. <laughs> uh-huh. The gentleman that's showing you a display of his, started out as a hobby when he was 15 years old, and he does pinstriping and oh, artwork. Gorgeous. So this is examples of his tools that he uses and uses his name's Pooch. Says the big part of his business today, he's still at it, I think he's in his early 60s now, is uh, the big trucks. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Over the road. Pinstriping fenders and things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. So we call this our restoration and education center. This is an example of a car that you might find stuffed in a trailer or a barn and there's an interesting story with this it's from 1924 but up till 1925 there were no light duty trucks built in any factories so what you had to do this was owned by a plumber in Reading Pennsylvania so he wanted a place to carry more tools and equipment so he'd take the trunk lid off You'd go to Sears or a catalog company and buy a wooden body mm. to insert into your trunk space. Okay. When this wooden body was delivered to you, came into a railroad station, and you had to go down and pick it up, and they became known as pickup trucks. Okay. Uh, there you go. I have the vastest knowledge of unessential facts. I love gathered. that. <laughs> but, but I've learned so much with the station wagon and the pickup truck. That, yeah, it and just, backseat driver. That's right. That's right. So the restoration center showed people how you would take your 1952 Buick apart, clean the frame up, repaint it. There's all your suspension parts that you would rebuild and start putting your Buick back thing we're going to look at are the fin cars. All right. Basically what happened after the Second World War and that when the jet aircraft became very popular with you know your military people and that the car industry also decided well we're going to build some cars that look like a jet aircraft. Mm -hmm. So you think about it I give credit to the Studebaker Corporation because when you think about it, remember the 1949-1950 Studebakers mm. with the cone in the front? That's right. That, you know, that was very military aviation. Right. kind of looked like it. Mm -hmm. And then by 1953, they built the silver and golden Hawks, mm -hmm. which to me is the first car I can remember with fins. Yeah, that's a pretty car. Yeah. Of course, then General Motors jumped in the bandwagon and went to Chevrolet and said, build a car with fins. So, right. <laughs> 1959, they came out with the 
Chevrolet and Paula. And the interesting thing about the cars with fins, <clears throat> actually it's basically is what drove the Hudson, the Packard, the Studebaker people out of business. Because the big three, Chrysler, General Motors, and Ford, every year they changed the design, totally. So you think of the tooling expenses to build all the dies to punch out the body parts and that, when it changed every year. Right. The smaller companies couldn't afford that. So like Hudson, think of it, the older Hudsons, yes. all they did was put another chrome strip on top of the existing right. bumper. Right. But the general public didn't buy it. They wanted, they wanted a fresh. new model mm -hmm. every year. Mm -hmm. And it's those days is when only the big three exist until right. the foreign cars started coming in, you know. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. fit in most garages <laughs> no. today. That's oh 18 God. feet long. Oh, my word. Yeah. And one of the first fin cars for Chevrolet. Yeah, was, Nomad. You know, gorgeous. 57 Chevy station wagon. And a perfect color, too. That oh, turquoise. Yeah. Beautiful car. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you think convenient, too. Yeah, I sure. mean, it's the same as an SUV today. Sure. T Bird. Yeah, that's sharp. Pontiac Bonneville. Wow. Look at the rear quarter on that. That's at least seven feet long, just yeah. the quarter. DeSoto. Oh, yeah. That's a rare. Mm -hmm. 56. Convertible. With the fire dome. A 1954 Corvette. Yep. Year after it all started. Interesting story. What happened is General Motors, in 1953, realized a lot of the young people in the United States were buying sports cars out of Europe. You know, your MGs, Austin Healy's, BMWs. So they went to the Chevrolet division and said, design a sports car. So <clears throat> this is basically in 1953, this is what they designed. They were all white with a red interior, six cylinder engine, which was fine, but they made a big mistake. Only a two speed automatic transmission called the Power Glide. Nobody wanted a sports car with an automatic, much less a two speed. Mm -hmm. So they built 300 of them, took them to shows throughout the 19, early 1953s. 1954, they built 1,600. But by the end of 1954, they had about 1,100 cars that never sold. Okay. So they gave them away to movie stars, politicians, and gave them back to the dealerships and said, do with them what you want. We're getting out of the sports car business. And then Ford came out with the T-Bird in 1955. And the general, uh, not General Motors, but the Chevrolet division decided, oh, we can't let Ford run away with the sports car business. So they hired an engineer by the name Dunpoff, <clears throat> who helped design the small block Chevy V8. They put standard shift in them the following year with four-speed transmissions or three-speed, and the rest is history. Interesting. Almost ended right there. Yep. That's Very cool. close. Right. So this is known as the Hubcat Cafe. <clears throat> we heard of an old drugstore going out of business in Lyon, Indiana. Volunteers went out, tore all the equipment oh, out, word. brought it here, cleaned it up. It's totally original. <clears throat> 
and we call it the Hubcap Cafe. We mounted hubcaps on the ceiling. We made a Christmas tree out of hubcaps and then found out it's so heavy we can't move it. <laughs> it's a year-rounder now. So it's a year-round display. That's art now. Right. And we have an old jukebox. You can still play three songs for 25 cents. Okay. We make the old-fashioned milkshakes and that. And it's also rentable for birthday parties, sure. wedding receptions. We've actually had some funerals here. Oh, wow. Car enthusiasts. The old part of the uh, A and B meets. Gotcha. Okay, the, the brick building. Marble stairway. Beautiful staircase. Yeah, and the old style windows. Oh, yes. Okay, so we're back to the Carlisle Studio A. Hope you guys enjoyed that walk-along, essentially, at the America on Wheels in Allentown. What a cool museum. I highly recommend that you check them out. A big thank you to Gary Liu and our friends out on the West Coast in Santa Clara, California, Man Engineering, and all that they do for Super Performance and being a sponsor of Cars of Carlisle. Check them out at www.man-engineering.com. And I hope you caught that when Gary was talking about the UPS boxes and the number of times it can get in the you could stack them and they can make it to outer space and back. I think he specifically said, I believe, to the moon, and that the number is 12 times. One other thing I wanted to mention to you before we go can't wait to have you back next week. We talk about subscriptions and subscribing, which costs you nothing, it's completely free but wanted to start to tout to you the benefits. If you are a subscriber of Cars of Carlisle, as we produce this each Tuesday night, it goes live on iTunes approximately 11.30 midnight time frame each Tuesday, East Coast time, US. And if you subscribe, regardless of where you live, anywhere in the world, regardless of the time zone, it will automatically queue up into your, your iTunes account. If you're listening on Podbean, also you have that opportunity to be one of the first. It's already there waiting for you each Wednesday. So what a great benefit. Love to have you be a subscriber. And if you do happen to rate and review us, if you give us a five star, take a a screen capture or a picture of that, along with the review that you put out there on us, send the positive review and a picture of the five star to our email address, send it to carsofcarlisle at outlook.com. You will be entered into a pretty cool drawing. It'll be worth your time. So for now, can't wait to have you back for next week. And I'll say drive well, be well, and take care.